0: Christmas. Welcome back to the another episode of the Healthy Christian Project where we connect our faith with our fitness. Today is a new day. Uh, we are not going to be talking about fitness, but we are going to tackle a little bit of the faith side because you know what, it's Christmas. So why not do a Christmas episode? After all, It's not really about Santa, it's not really about gifts, it's not really about reindeer, it's not really about jack frost or marshmallows or stockings or those weird traditions that we all have or turkey because there is an actual reason why we celebrate this holiday. Even if the human race has lost track of that, there is an actual reason and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. This episode is coming from a sermon that I wrote and just gave this Sunday um, about Christmas and what it means, and what Advent is, and stuff like that. And I'm actually just going to share it. I forgot to record it on Sunday, so I'm just going to be sharing it here. But before we get into the episode, um, just want to give you a heads up that the course enrollment is now open for the Healthy Christian Project course. Uh, it's super exciting. All my clients are getting it for free, and this is going to be a really exciting time. So, Coming into the new years, if you want to learn everything you need to to do your health and fitness journey the right way, the biblical way, just shoot me an email: e l i e dot s a m a h a seven seven at gmail dot com, and I will reply. All right, let's get into it. So I'm wondering, do you know what your name means? My name, um, Eli Samaha, in Arabic means God forgives. And just for the sake of this. I went and did a little research. The name George means farmer. The name Mary means beloved or blessed. Nicole means victory of the people. And Ruth means compassionate friend. Tony is a fun one. So Tony means flourishing flower. So if you know any Tonys, you can tell them they're a flourishing flower. Now, I don't know what everyone's name means because I just did a little research here, but some people live up to their names and others don't. And in today's passage, we're going to be reading about some of the names of Jesus. But before that, I kind of want to recap what I talked about um, in my last sermon. So I didn't record this sermon, but I want to recap what I talked about because I talked about Advent. And Advent means you're longing for something that you're expecting to come. And when I was giving that sermon, we looked at Genesis and we looked at how the people are longing for someone who would crush the head of the serpent. They were longing for someone, looking at the story of Abraham, longing for someone that would be a substitutionary atonement, which is just a big way of saying someone who would take the place and pay the price for their sin. And we saw from the story of King David how they were looking for someone who would be an offspring of David. And today we're moving on to this passage, very famous passage in Isaiah. But before we read it, I want to tell you a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the most quoted books in the entire New Testament, with over 55 quotations. In fact, a lot of the time when the New Testament writers wanted to understand who Jesus was and what scripture said about him, they went to Isaiah. And so if we want to understand who Jesus is and what scripture says about him, we also need to understand Isaiah. Isaiah wrote the passage we're about to read during a time when there was this dude, his name was Ahaz, and he was king of Judah. And Ahaz was a very evil dude. He desecrated God's temple. He tried to set up alliance with Assyria when God was telling him not to. And he also did things like, you know, sacrificing his own children. Just just why not? So let's just say his government was not an ideal one. And as Isaiah was prophesying, he prophesied hope for the Jewish people. What was this hope? Well, Isaiah 9 Verse 6-7 to says, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Okay, first, let's understand who this child is. To us, a child is born. So yesterday I was delivering a pizza. Um, yes, I still deliver pizza sometimes with my parents. And I open the door, the man answers. He takes the pizza. He says, Give me one second, I just got to go find some cash. I'm like, Okay, no worries. And so his wife comes up to the door and his wife says, oh, did he take the pizza? I'm like, yep. She's like, okay, okay, don't worry. You know, he used to actually deliver pizza. So don't worry. You're going to get a really good tip. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a really good tip. This is so exciting. In my mind, I'm thinking $20, 30 $40. And he comes back, he gives me the money. I say thanks and walk away. I check how much he gave me and he gave me $4. The point of this here is to show that I got my hopes up. Well, she got my hopes up. The man came to the door and paid and I was expecting like a big tip and I really got a less than average tip of $4 and so I walked away disappointed. The point of the story is after Isaiah gave this prophecy, especially during the reign of Ahaz, I'm sure he got people's hopes up because he said a child is born. A son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And then he says all this fantastic stuff about this child. He'll have justice and righteousness and he'll be called wonderful and counselor and prince of peace. And I'm I'm sure they're expecting the next person, the next child to take the throne, maybe Hezekiah, who would bring peace and good ruling over the people. And the Bible does tell us that Hezekiah was a good king who did what was good in the sight of the Lord. But unfortunately, their hope was not fulfilled that early. So who was this kid? Just two chapters earlier, Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Okay, so this son is kind of like a gift to the nation of Israel. And his name will be Emmanuel. Well, how do we know this is Jesus? Well, in Matthew 1, during the birth of Jesus, that account... It reads, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're seeing a virgin has conceived from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. And then Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. So from this, we see the first name of Jesus, Emmanuel, or God is with us. God walked among us. He walked in the flesh. And that's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing to think of God walking among us. If if you're in a crowded room and the king or queen walks among you, everyone makes way for the king and queen and, and gives awe and respect. Now, can you imagine God walking among you? What kind of awe and respect we should have had? And yet we read instead that he was despised and rejected of men. Now, before we move on to the government, I want to talk about his other names. And we read Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And a lot of scholars argue whether this should be four or five names. We're just going to treat it as five just for the sake of this. The word Wonderful. Have you ever tried to grasp something and never been able to wrap your head around it? Like it just doesn't make sense. Maybe it's health and fitness, haha. But maybe it's other things. For me, it's space. I don't under, it's so hard for me to understand how infinite space is. Here's a fun fact. To get to the closest galaxy to ours and imagine you're traveling at the speed of light Which, by the way, the speed of light can get around the earth fully in less than a second. So if you're traveling at the speed of light, trying to get to the closest galaxy, it would take you 25,000 years. To me, it's beyond understanding how big it is. Well, that word, beyond understanding, is what translates in Hebrew to wonderful. And that's what it means here. It's a name referred for God because he is beyond understanding. His greatness, his holiness, his righteousness, and his perfect love are beyond our human understanding. Our puny minds can't wrap around God. Number two is counselor. Now, what does counselor mean? Does this mean like a therapist? You know, Nicole, my wife, is studying to become a therapist. Does that what it mean? Well, not necessarily. If you've ever heard of Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says, Remember, there is nothing that happens in your daily life that was not first devised in eternity and counseled by Jesus Christ for your good, that all things might work together for your benefit. Meaning, he's the king of the universe, and he has supernatural wisdom when he is in his office as king. And contrast this to the governments today and Ahaz and and all those evil and corrupt people who don't have supernatural wisdom, but have supernatural selfishness, Jesus will have counsel and good counsel, wise counsel. Then we move on to mighty God. And the Hebrew term here means God, the mighty one, which is a direct reference to the child being born, Jesus being God. I know there's a there's a ton of groups out there today that don't believe that Jesus is God, and they still call themselves Christian groups. There's a group of Unitarian people who believe that Jesus is not God, but rather uh, God created Jesus and put him above all things. But if Jesus is then a creation, it would mean that all of us are idolaters for worshiping Jesus because we're not supposed to worship the creation. And there are still groups today, whether that's Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or whatever it is, but that's in direct opposition to this verse. Those who don't believe that Jesus is God cannot be called Christians because this one prophecy here is, and everything in Jesus' ministry shares that he is the mighty God. Then we move on to Everlasting Father. Now, this is a confusing one. Does this imply that Christ is the Father? Because, you know, God is Trinity and Father, Son, Holy Spirit are each distinct. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. So what is going on here? How can Isaiah call this human baby, the everlasting Father? All right, we're going to come back to the Hebrew term here, which means everlasting or eternity. And that translates it to being the child or the Father of Eternity. The implication behind that phrase, father of eternity, means that he's the creator of eternity. The creation belongs to him. He's the father of creation. And we know also that from Hebrews 1, he sustains all things. Through him, all things were made. Meaning, because he's the father of creation, he cares deeply. Imagine your father, hopefully you have a good relationship or good thoughts about your father, but a father should care deeply and lovingly for his child. And that's what we see in Jesus here, his caring and lovingness. And finally, we move on to the word Prince of peace. And today we live in a world of war. You know, you're thinking about probably Israel and Palestine as I'm talking about this, or Ukraine and Russia, or terrorists, or ISIS, or whatever it is. There's always war. Over a hundred years ago was World War One. In nineteen fourteen, the people were so amazed and scared at the technology that was used to fight in World War One that they assumed they would never do another war like that again. Because it would be so catastrophic, and they named World War I the war to end all wars. They thought the danger that, that the technology was so dangerous that it could not be used again for something like that. Now obviously, it was not the war to end all wars, um, because you know 20 years later they had World War II. And what we see here is the world does not really know peace as anything more than the time between one war ending and another beginning. And what's more is people don't know how to disagree with each other in a loving way. If you and I disagree, it's no longer that, oh, we just don't share the same opinion and that's okay. But it's that you are my enemy, especially on social media. The problem becomes worse. I've been reading that even some celebrities are getting canceled on social media if they don't take a stance on the Israel-Palestine conflict. I don't understand. You see, the way today, we Christians should disagree with each other is not like this. We have to learn how to disagree with each other in a loving way. But the point here is, where is the peace? You know, we hear peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, Jesus came. Where's the peace? Well, what I want to note is the most important peace Jesus has given us is peace between God and man. A peace that was impossible without him. But there's another kind of peace as well. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. And that's what leads us into Advent. Remember, although Christmas is happening, and that's today, Advent means we're still longing for something. And we are. We still have expectations. We're still longing for something. The second half of the passage we read says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. When I say the word politics, if you're in Canada, you're probably thinking of Justin Trudeau. If you're in the States, maybe Joe Biden or Donald Trump, or if you're in North Korea, Kim Jong-un. I mean, if you're in North Korea, you're probably not listening to this, but politics always seems evil and corrupt. And a lot of people think that, you know, religion should be more involved than politics. And others say that religion and politics should be as separate as oil and water. I'm not here to argue whether they should or should not be. But a lot of people will ask, if the government will be on his shoulders, why isn't it? And I want to answer that by something Jesus said when he was led to be crucified. Pilate entered his headquarters again, and called Jesus and said, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Meaning, his kingdom, his governments, is an invisible form. He rules over those who trust and obey him as Lord. And though currently it's not of this world, it will one day become visible and universal, and he will rule over everyone, whether they acknowledge him or not. There's a verse in Daniel that, igno- that, that looks forward to that time that Christ will reign over a literal earthly kingdom. It says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, and it itself will endure forever. And that day also, the government of the whole world will rest on his shoulders, and he will reign for a thousand years, and Satan will be bound. Zechariah 14.17 says, The survivors of all the nations that attack Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king. And if they don't, that the Lord Almighty will set no reign for them. Meaning, all the people in the world will go year after year to worship Jesus. There will be peace on earth. And this is during his 1000 year millennial kingdom. And just a fun fact for this, I love this little small detail, but Zechariah 4, um, it also said, or maybe 14, sorry, it also says that all the pots and pans in people's houses are going to have the name or the, the words inscribed, holy to the Lord. And I think that's so cute. Uh, just like every pot and pan, because the whole point here is there's no more distinction between secular and holy because all things would be holy so if you want a business idea start selling pots and pans that will be holy to the lord i think it's pretty it's pretty yeah i'd support um but the point here is that all the verses we read describe his character and talk to us about what kind of ruler he'll be you know he's a counselor who has infinite wisdom as he rules he's beyond our understanding He's strong and caring. He's the mighty God, but he ushers peace. So as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, we still have Advent as well. There's still a longing for something, for his second coming, for his eternal kingdom, for peace. And when we compare his government to the governments we have today, it can feel unreal. Maybe it feels like a hope that's too good to be true. But as we saw, a part of this prophecy has already been fulfilled. And now we long and wait for Christ to fulfill this prophecy that all may be under his hands. And remember, Jesus has many names, and yet he has fulfilled and will fulfill every single one of them in due time. Merry Christmas, my friends, and I'll see you next week for our New Year's episode to talk about New Year's resolutions. Are they good? Are they bad? How do you succeed? What's the deal with all those? But Merry Christmas. Take it easy today. God bless you. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of the Healthy Christian Project.